Hey, what's up, guys? Got uh, some exciting news. Close to close to getting my first real like official sponsor. So stay tuned. You might hear more about that in the next few episodes. But uh, just I'll just uh, say that if if you uh, use CBD oil, which I do all the time, it's a it's a very cool sponsor. And just remember, coming up, coming up in September fourteenth, Crafted nineteen seventy nine's got their small batch festival putting this thing together with some insanely awesome breweries. Uh, just the confirmed list so far includes uh, Maplewood, Misbehaving Meads, Phase 3, Riverlands, St. Arant Brewing, Triptych Brewing, Viking Artisan Ales, Workforce Brewing, Little Beaver, Unane and Hubbard's Cave, Energy City, Mad Hatchet, uh, Brickstone, Hailstorm, Transient, Rock Bottom, Flask, uh, the whole the whole crew from Surrounded by Idiots. They're going to do a special Surrounded by Idiots beer for us. And then you're going to have Lake Zurich Brewing there and Microphone Brewing as well. And the list is going to get a little bit longer. It's going to be crazy. September 14th, it'll be from 12 to 5. The tickets are already on sale. Uh, I think they're almost sold out. There's VIP passes that are in- including a uh, in November when, when we bottle the... Uh, Hubbard's Cave collab that Crafted did, the Bananas Foster, uh, the barrel age version of it. It'll include a bottle with your $110 ticket purchase, and then a shirt and a food voucher, glassware for the festival. Uh, it's going to be a fairly small festival with a shit ton of bangers there. So it's going to be something that you're going to want to check out. No doubt about it. Uh, the brewery list is crazy. We still have a few more breweries. We're just, they're just, they're close. They're just tentative. We just want to make sure everything works out scheduling wise. And then we'll announce those. Uh, they're going to be some big ones, including uh, potentially an out of towner that's been making some killer, killer IPAs out in the Midwest here. Um, yeah, but this episode was my first foray with Goose Island. So I've been kind of like, it's been hard for me to get to like Revolution, uh, Goose Island, and then I've had some scheduling issues trying to get Mars on the podcast, but I'm really glad I got to sit down with with Keith and Mike and and, uh, Bjorn, and these guys were great. Uh, Shout out to Renee from their PR that she got everything together, got us a conference room, and we had a nice little, you know, hour and 45 minute conversation about Goose Island beer and their history and their personal stories and all that. These guys were really cool. It was a cool place uh and they got some cool things coming so check it out here's goose island all right live from a conference room with three gentlemen from goose island it's i was just telling uh, renee that it was it's what goose like rev and mars are like the biggest chicago breweries that i have not been able to sit down with yet so i'm like really really excited to sit down with you guys appreciate you taking the time out of uh i'm guessing a hectic brew schedule and hectic uh work work schedule in general yeah we're happy to have you well thank sure. you thank you well, let's start with you keith go ahead and introduce yourself tell them tell them what you do here um uh, so yeah my name's keith gabbett i'm the uh brewmaster here at goose island been here for little over 10 years now and yeah newly appointed brewmaster uh earlier this spring newly appointed oh, okay. newly appointed okay we're gonna or get just into that took it i guess right? <laughs> took it by force <laughs> <laughs> how about you uh mike mike siegel um the r&d manager here i've been here for seven and a half years also the pinch hitter today right and you're the pinch hitter I, i'm stepping in uh, yes yeah. so hopefully i uh can satisfy uh, i think you're gonna be just fine <laughs> yeah yeah, so what, what was it they, they, they call you R&D? Like what, what's your kind of official title? Well, I was, so I started out as a brewer here, 
seven and a half years ago. And uh, when I was promoted to the job, it was called innovation manager at the time. And um, had that title for a couple of years until um, the word innovation just, I just, I think we collectively got fed up with <laughs> that word being a buzzword in not just brewing, but various industries. And people were using the word innovation for, um, for any new beer that wasn't particularly innovative. And so totally just decided to rebrand the department or the sub-department in my own title to research and development, which is really more appropriate to what the daily work is. Um, heavy on development, and we've been trying to put a little bit more of the research into that. Um, but development-wise, you know, a lot of 150 beers a year on average for the last few years. So uh, most of these are really small batches, oh, yeah, but yeah. Um, and we've got a taproom outlet now to um to really complete that loop to the beer drinker but just a lot of development let's let's complete the circle here and head over to bjorn all right this uh, is like the introducing <laughs> people to your voices part of the podcast right i mean this <laughs> is like all right now we can note that because now i want to go deeper with all of you guys here all right hello my name is bjorn johnson i am the lead brewer at goose island fulton uh, i manage the hot side production for the beers coming out of Fulton. Okay. And like we, we kind of talked about this off mic. So I think from a consumer aspect, I think maybe some people might get confused as to how everything operates together, like Goose Fulton, Goose Clybourne, Goose, you know, any other pub or tap room that Goose has a has its name on. Um, so, uh, you know, th- you say lead brewer, Bjorn, like, yeah. so that's, uh, how does that differ from like the brewmaster? And uh, so I am a direct report to Keith. And then all the shift brewers I'm responsible for, <sighs> for the hot, yeah. So the it, brew house shift brewers. In these situations, I mean, and you know, I've talked to some breweries that have some pretty, you know, big brew schedules at Half Acre. You know, they're pretty big production as oh, well, yeah. I know. Uh, but, and you're talking about shift brewers and stuff. Yeah. You know, for the consumer that's used to maybe going to their local suburban tap room it's like the guy who owns it's brewing the beer and that kind of thing <laughs> like how much as a shift you know when you, when you have shift brewers under yeah. you are you finding yourself not uh touching so much of the grain and you know or you know the the actual brew day type stuff if we're running real smooth i'm not touching anything <laughs> uh, but <laughs> i do i do walk the floor i see things i sometimes it's actually nice to jump in it's kind of like a refresher i did start uh, six years ago as a shift brewer um, yeah i don't i don't want to be too far away from it but i'm i'm definitely one step removed yeah i think that's something you know we all started off as shift brewers here uh, goose believes in you know kind of promoting from within so uh, the three of us uh, have held various roles uh, here at the brewery but you know within brewing cellaring uh, etc and one of the things that happens as you sort of rise through the ranks is that you start brewing less and less and less. And uh, even to get to my place where it can be difficult to find time throughout the day to get out onto the floor and just walk and walk the floor, look at the tanks, say hi to the brewers. It's still something that I, I strive to do every day, you know, in the mornings and the afternoons. But it's pre- unfortunately, it's pretty far removed from actually going out there and manhandling the you know, bags and the and the hops and everything. Oh, yeah. So what? Go, a go 20, ahead, yeah, I mean, it's a, a 
24-7 operation, right? So when we talk about shifts, it's like you're literally handing off to somebody else who's picking up the job or many tasks within that role in, in process. So um, when you've got a shift change, and again, I'm many years removed from that, but um, there's a responsibility there, you know, instead of uh, maybe a size operation where you start up the day and then you complete it, you know, 10 hours later. Here, you're, we're, we're rolling around the clock every day. Um, so there's complexities there. And certainly a lot of shift or a lot of breweries working on a schedule like that, but there's some complexities just built into that structure. And so all told, what are we at now as far as the brewing team? I think we have uh, 36 brewers between oh, Fulton shit. and that's Sacramento, crazy. not yeah, counting the, that's crazy. the pubs. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so it's that's a big, wild. big team doing yeah. a lot of different things. A lot of communication there, right? Man, it's got to be, right? Yeah. Ideally. Yes. Yeah. Ideally. <laughs> that always seems to be the thing that fails no matter what job you're in. It's like whether it's beer or not, it's, it's, it's that communication you get. It's a, it was always, one thing you always could do better. Yeah, that's one of the things that's come up year after year. I used to complain about it when I was a shift brewer. And now oh, as I, yeah. I hear the shift brewers complain about it, so always working to find better ways to communicate. So what were some of those challenges, I guess, shift brewers? Like what were some of those challenges of like those nuances of changing shift or like communicating from one to the other so that person knows? Is that what the complaints are usually like? Like I wasn't as well informed as I would have liked to have been when I took over. You know? Yeah, as a shift brewer, you want to make sure the people following you are set up well. You know, they have all the ingredients they need, the recipes there re- waiting to go. If there are any problems or issues going on, that they're aware of them. If there are any mechanical failures or programming failures, that they're aware of those. Yeah. If the schedule has changed uh, from what it was the day before or even earlier in the day, making sure that uh, you communicate those out. So so for from your position now, Keith, like obviously you've been through all the other parts of it as well. I mean, you're, you're just now in this new position, but yep. you've kind of gone through this transition. And a lot of you, are, I mean, I think all three of you guys had numbers like seven, eight, ten, you know, years with, with the company. Like, how, how have you guys seen the kind of progression and the change? Like, how much different is it right now than, than it was seven years ago? I feel like it's been constantly changing since I started. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think when I started... Uh, there were somewhere between 8 and 12 brewers uh, total. Bourbon County wasn't yet really a thing. Uh, we brewed it two, three, four times a year uh, on a small, uh, much smaller size. We didn't have a warehouse dedicated for it. Uh, we weren't brewing. We weren't a part of AB at the time. We weren't brewing on, uh, you know, as national, as large of a national scale as we are now or even globally. Uh, so it's been kind of everything has changed, really, while keeping the uh, the heart of it the same. You know, Goose IPA is still Goose IPA. 312 is still 312, but now it's just being brewed kind of everywhere. Yeah, just constantly and everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like when you guys were, when you were kind of first starting out, Keith, like what were some of the, the kind of, I don't know, the things that, that led you to Goose, and, and first of all, and then kind of led you to stay with Goose, you know? Sure. Um Probably not much of a surprise, really. Bourbon County was one of the big ones uh, that led me to Goose. Uh, Goose IPA, it was one of the first IPAs that I remember drinking when, you know, I finally was legally able to drink. Um, and, you know, it was, a, it was a brewery with a long history that was doing really well. It was kind of in my backyard here in Chicago. 
thought it was pretty cool. So got grew up, you grew up around here then. I've been living in Chicago since 99, but I grew up in Indiana, Indiana. Okay. Yeah. Northwest. Yep. This the Chicago well, suburb. Northern, Northern <laughs> central. That's okay. It. Yeah. Okay, so you moved you go to Chicago in the nineties, oh, late nineties, late nineties, okay. barely in the nineties. Okay, so where, what what kind of background did you come from, I man? Were you? Um, so let's see. I got my, you know, I got my degree in philosophy way back in the day, and wanted to use that to change minds and have discussions with people. And I kind of quickly found out that the academic life just wasn't really for me. I wanted to do something that was. Uh, a little bit more creative, something I could use my hands, use my brains in, in a different way. Um, and brewing just kind of appealed to that, that sense. It's artistic, it's mechanical, it's a little bit of everything. Did you get, were you a homebrew guy when you were younger? Did you? Oh yeah. You uh, mess up some kitchen stoves. Some, I had some pretty terrible homebrews, uh, but I had some good ones too. And you know, we would get, we'd have my friends over, we'd all kind of meet in the kitchen and brew on the stove and Bottling days were a group affair. Days, oh. Good times. Different now. Different <laughs> kind of bottling days now. Well, it, and for you, you're still doing like you're saying research development. I mean, you're kind of still you're still home brewing. Well, yeah, and I I home brewed for many years. That's how I got my start. Um, like a lot of us. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think culture. I, I've always been fascinated with beer culture too, and. Um, kind of starting at the drinking establishment uh, establishment my dad would uh to make some extra money on the weekends he would clean up this bar uh up in the suburbs uh, called the glendew house which was this like 100 year old kind of tavern and so i was probably 10 12 years old sweeping and mopping a bar uh cleaning out the towels and the bathroom and all that you know to make uh, a few extra bucks um, so that was my first exposure to kind of beer culture and beer world um, outside of just, you know, a can of beer that my dad would be drinking. He was an old style guy. Old so, style. I, yeah, old style. Um, and him, him and my grandfather would drink old style, you know, kind of on the, the summer barbecues and whatnot. So that, and that was a very big beer uh, in the mid in Chicago at the time. Um, it was really the beer uh, probably in the mid 80s. Um, but so I was always been fascinated by beer and then, you know, as a beer drinker, um, you know, just Sierra Nevada pale ale, something like that, really exposure to beer other than kind of macro lager was, was really fascinating to me in the late nineties. And then, uh, my, my now wife, then girlfriend got my first homebrew kit for me, uh, about 2004. And that's how I really started the, my interest with brewing itself, um, and then just eventually, I, I worked in, actually, I did a lot of this. I worked in sound engineering was my first job. I've always lived in the area, um, so I've always been a Chicago guy. I went to down, Columbia College, downtown Chicago. Um, so my exposure to Goose was, you know, has been my whole adult life as well. Um, and I uh, did the Siebel. I actually saw Keith Lemke on Friday. Uh, he was with Siebel for a long time, so a local brewing school. Right, right. Um, We've had a lot of Siebel stories on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. 80 episodes and a lot of brewers, and you get a lot of little Siebel. And they got one that don't that don't <laughs> involve Siebel too. You know, they just figure it out however they figure it out. But, but it's a fast. That's, that's somebody I'd like to do a podcast with. The, the Siebel. Yeah, just Keith. Kinda, Keith uh, is an incredible talker. Yeah, uh, he can oh, he sure. can talk um, at length. And so once you enroll at Siebel, you get put in a email list that's essentially uh, broadcasting availability job openings 
And so at the time, we we do things very differently now, but uh, and I joke that I probably wouldn't be hired at Goose Island with our current methods of hiring brewers, <laughs> but it used to be, you know, Goose Island's hiring experienced brewers, email Brett Porter. Uh, so I just sent him a resume, and he replied to me and said, come on in for an interview. So no no, ex- no extensive screenings and, and all this. It's just email Brett, and Brett said, oh, I liked your cover letter, so <laughs> come on in. What was that cover letter? I mean, you use some I, comic sans. I spent a lot of time on it, but uh, you know, I didn't have any brewing experience. So I needed this is my first brewing job. I needed to get my foot in the door. So um, whatever I said, it worked. And um, he said, "Are you willing to work overnights, weekends, and twelve-hour shifts for half the pay that you're making now?" I said, "Absolutely, obviously, absolutely." Yeah, here we go. <laughs> obviously, so yes. it was easy. Yeah, it sounds like it. it. Sounds just just that easy. Yeah, we used to do we used to do overnight weekends, uh, well, overnight shifts, twelve hour shifts. So it'd be basically two brewers running the brew house for the whole weekend, and they'd yeah. be handing off to the same person. So you'd do it six a.m. to six p.m., and then you'd hand off at six p.m. to same the guy that did that six p.m. six a.m. and then the next morning uh-huh. the two people would hand off to each other again. And we don't what, do that how anymore. How long ago was this? Would you say maybe like four ball or five years ago? Okay. Uh, a little bit longer than that, yeah. Okay. But that's we did how I got my start. And it's, you know, in this sort of production brewing, shift brewing kind of area, it's one of the few times that you could actually see a full fermenter get filled. You could be responsible for, you know, the entire two or 300 barrel batch. At this time, what what's, what's the system that you're working on look like? I mean, is it sp- it's basically the same? Is it is it so much more advanced now than, than before? I mean, is it automated, a lot of that, you know? It's grain the brew in, house, grain yeah. out. Brew house is mm, sort of the same. It's a 50 barrel JV Northwest. Um, we got a wort receiver from Mueller right. put in maybe six years ago or so. Uh, we've made some improvements to the HMI, the programming, just because it's a lot easier when you're running two or three turns or two or three brews at the same time to have the programming open and shut the valves uh, for you rather than running up and down multiple <laughs> floors and in multiple rooms. Um, added a uh, mash filter uh, about three years ago and a tube decanter. So we've gotten certain parts of it have been upgraded and changed, but at the heart of it, the system itself is, is the same. And now you were, you were talking about switching off, uh, you know, shift as you felt like you were going into some sort of a story and I feel like I jumped in on you too, too early. Well, I just, again, uh, like, like Bjorn has said, things always change around here. And that's one of those things that, um, you know, we don't, we don't do anymore and and it, it was rough i mean working three twelves in a row of a of a manual job particularly when it would be you know sometimes 90 100 degrees in the brew house it it takes a lot out of you um so we're we're pretty much what all uh 10 hour shifts now right yep for the yeah. most part for four, the shift four tens at yeah. the moment but i do think there was something about those three twelves that i don't know i think it gave you some it was character building. <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> things that, like, if they can do that, they can, they, they'll survive here. They'll yeah, because it was uh, basically it would be only two brewers over those three days, so you would be handing off to the same person, and that's a real easy way to get to know somebody, what they like, what they don't. Uh, if you, I know I was the brewer that I worked with. Um, when he thought I gave him a bad handoff, and I would see him 12 hours later, it he would basically be like, I did nothing, goodbye. Uh, yeah. And I'd have to do twice <laughs> the work. But then if I got, you know, if I got to the level that he was expecting, then he would stay a little if he needed to. And then we started 
finding and I don't know it was a it forced you to learn and get along with other people it's back to that uh, communication right you you're right like you you need that you need this kind of relationship to work otherwise it's going to make your life hell and their life hell and then you're somewhere along the line it's going to fall apart well yeah usually you don't see anyone else you see like Um, one one person in the cellar maybe one or two people in the lab and then your other shift guy. You don't see anyone else. Other shift guy. Other shift guy. Uh-huh. Really, yeah, it really is kind of like uh, you wake up, you eat, you go to work, you get off work, you eat, you go to bed, and that's basically your life for three days. Yeah, I would take the Damon bus home and uh, basically, you know, seven in the morning on a Sunday, and uh, you, you know, you're coming off at twelve hours, and I'd fall asleep half the time on the bus. <laughs> you know, you're just exhausted. Yeah, I don't think I saw anyone who worked here during the week, anyone from the sales or the marketing team or even like the regular ship brewers uh, for the first several months that I worked here. I think even now on overnights, a lot of times, like if a brewer returning from overnights, people be like, oh, where have you been? Oh, you're still here? Like that's kind of the classic. The overnight people tend to get forgotten. Yeah, you keep the place (laughs) running, but people are like, you know, not really paying attention to who's on overnights. Where'd you go? You're never around. Been on vacation? Mm -hmm. Well, we do a four-week rotation, so... It's a month that you won't see somebody. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I think my longest stint was 10 weeks, and that I definitely felt a little out of touch. <laughs> who who deals with all the logistics of that, the, the scheduling of these guys and, and the rotations? Like, Who's in charge of this? That's, the quiet that's largely been, uh, like, our lead sellerman has taken on the shift rotation, and has largely been managing that. So that's uh, Patrick Reich. It's got to be yeah. difficult, though, right? I mean, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. There's a lot of material, sick days, yeah. like time off. And then if there are any requests for trips or festivals or mm-hmm. anything, scheduling around that, it's a it's kind of a nightmare. I'm really happy <laughs> that he's doing it. Yeah, me too. It makes it a lot easier. I'm really happy he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and not you. Now, you had briefly mentioned uh, that you got your like a beer kit for for as a gift from your then uh, girlfriend, now wife. Uh, so, do you remember it? Was it like a Mister Beer type thing, or was it like a Northern Brewer type? Uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, I think it was from Beer Beer and More Beer out in California. Um, I don't know if Northern Brewer. Maybe they were around. Maybe they weren't. Uh, but um, this glass glass carboy. Um, the original. Um, I would I would do. <laughs> the first batch I did was the old bathtub uh, tub cooling of the oh, of yeah. the, nice. the the pot. You know, it was a partial, so you'd make I don't know three gallons of wort and then basically dilute it. Um, but I cooled it and uh, with like basically an ice bath in the bathtub, and you know, kind of killed my back in the process, and and <laughs> got myself a um, uh, a copper heat exchanger. For the next batch, never did that again. I uh, uh, never did the ice bath chiller. again. So yeah, I got the chiller going, um, and that. So I started out with extract, and then moved my way to, to all grain, and um, that was it was a lot of fun. A lot of fond memories of of brewing in the kitchen. How old were you when you discovered like that? You might be into brewing beer. Like this might be cool. Like when you got that kit, and then you like, all right, I want to go all grain. Yeah, I was in my, you know, uh, I was probably twenty four. 25 then you catch the bug it's, it seems to be like a like a turbo that you know you start hitting that extract batch and then so many guys would just be like that went all in <laughs> went all in all grain and then you just you know it turns into one of those hobbies like guitars or you know any you know you just start going nuts 
Well, it's one of those cool things that you can, um, you know, build your kit yourself. You start off with something from one of these homebrew shops or online services, and then you find yourself running to Home Depot to, you know, <laughs> grab a valve or some other parts or gaskets or whatever, and just kind of creating a Frankenstein uh, brew kit at home or going into it and getting, you know, turkey fryers and shopping sales, uh, you know, right after Black Friday for that. Yeah. That moment when you're like, do I know anybody who welds? Like, <laughs> you know, I need to build a rack of some sort. Exactly. That's hilarious. I've just talked to so many guys that just, like, you know, they, they just take off. And some people are like, I never even did extract. Just went right to all green. Like, oh, no, a, I you're would, a brave person. Yeah. Brave. I had a couple of cans of, I think, John Bull English mild or something. Sure. Uh, dry hopped it. Dry hopped it with some old cheesy thoughts or whatever the homebrew <laughs> shop had laying around thought it was the coolest thing in the world yeah i, I just i think it, when i got into to brewing i was you know it was english styles it was esbs and and things like that that you know amazing how times have changed but a lot of those imported beers uh in the late 90s were um were a lot more prominent than they are now you know the fullers the bass uh boddington's things like that it was just you know i my first kind of phase of of beer beyond something that was again bud miller coors were uh, a lot of the multi english imports you know and then again sierra nevada pale ale kind of blew my mind when i first had that and pete's wicked ale and uh, there's one that doesn't come up enough pete's wicked ale they were I, huge i remember the commercials when i was a kid listening to like the sports talk stations and stuff you hear pete's wicked ale commercials they don't still make it right that's not that's no it is I'm not sure. No. But I remember back in the day getting a can of Pete's Wicked on a flight out to Boston. I thought that was the coolest <laughs> thing. <laughs> when you cross that threshold of, of good beer, like the Sierra Nevada, that, you know, that comes out the ton like that. Like you said, it blew your mind. It yeah. Because mm-hmm. it was, and it, it was you know, after you, after I got into Sierra Nevada, I realized, you know, what, what may have been different about it. But, you, did, you know, it was the first, um, probably my first exposure to Cascade um, and uh, and bottle conditioning and what that meant and how it was better for the beer and just a j- overall, you know, top quality beer, um, which I think to this day, you know, brewers definitely respect Sierra Nevada for that. Yeah, 100%. They built something uh, pretty good too. Uh, not, you know, not like Goose uh, is, it doesn't fall in that category at this point either. Right? Yeah, but you know, as brewers, we're we're always trying other breweries' beers, and um, and there's a respect when quality is at such a high level um, that you have for other breweries for sure. Now, do you guys ever uh, travel anymore for this stuff, or is it now now in your positions you kind of just stay around, or are you guys going on vacations looking for breweries? I mean. I, I think anytime I'm going on vacation, I'm looking to see what breweries are around, any trips. Yeah. I'll, I'll visit whatever brewery is local um, for sure. It's not quite as specific as it was in my earlier career where I would only take a vacation if we were going to a specific brewery. Um, but then even now with all the traveling that I do for work, I'll find local breweries and probably get out there a lot more now than I did before. Keeps it fun. Yeah, I had my honeymoon this year, and we went to uh, we went to the Bay Area. So I made sure to Russian River was my one brewery. Of course, yeah. and so we made it there, and that was awesome. 
What were you, what were you targeting at Russian River? It was like, man, I gotta get there and have oh, some of this. For me, man, I wanted to try Plani the Elderfresh. Uh-huh. I mean, that's just the that was a a beer I looked up to quite a bit. I liked the story behind it, and so yeah, that was a must. And then I had a Blind Pig as well. Uh huh. So and did you go up there looking for some of those uh, those wilds and the sours and that out there? You know, I, I didn't. I to to be honest, I, I like my my pails and my IPAs and I like my hops and I, it's uh it's not often I stray too far from that. Okay. Do you guys have beer nerd phases, you know, while you were home brewing and before you were actually in the business? Did you, did you have those kind of It's a different thing now to, when you're a beer nerd, but like back then, I think you touched on it a little bit about just, you know, the, the styles were different. It was the I hot stuff. Everyone kind of goes to the same same progression that I've seen. You know, you start off with IPAs, and it gets hoppier and more alcoholic the higher you go. Then you get into barrel-aged stouts. And then once those kind of peter out, you look at uh, sours, and it has to be, like, the more, the more sour, the better. And then finally you reach your, like, peak, and you come all the way back down to Pilsners and Hellas, and that's yep. all you'll drink. And you kind of come back and maybe fruit beer is like makes a play here or there, but yeah, it, it's a cycle. For some sure. Rattlers and some Rattlers are hot. <laughs> now White Claws, that's the full journey now. So yeah. yeah, White Claws. Well, and yeah, I hope that wide range. You know, we brew a wide range here. If you go down to our tap room, it's we've got a, a representation of of just about everything over the course of a year at least. Um, so I hope that stays the same, and I hope things doesn't. You know, my fear is that um, that things begin to or have begun to, um, you know, the 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 broad range of styles that people appreciate seems to be whittling down uh, a bit, at least in my perception. And I don't get out with two young kids. I don't get out nearly as much as I used to, or at all. Um, so beyond you know the scope of this brewery, so I, I definitely don't have my finger on the pulse of things, other than maybe what I read on occasion, but. Um, that's what I love about this place is we appreciate a wide range of, uh, of styles, maybe the widest range. And we're not super, we don't have to be super focused on, you know, just making hazy IPA or fruited beers. Um, and, and part of that's going back to what you said about traveling and appreciating how beers made around the country, around the world. That's something I have always loved doing. Earlier you asked like why, you know, why do we stay at Goose? And I think that's a perfect example right there. It's not boring. We don't just do one style of beer. We do uh, literally everything. You know, there isn't anything that, you know, I could think of right now that we haven't done at least once or twice. So, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, and the creative side is definitely there. I don't know. Would you say anything? Yeah, I, again, that's 100%. I mean, you know, in my uh, seven-plus years here, we've, we just did a, a Baltic Porter uh, last year, like on a on a you know a full scale batch, and uh, that was one of the few styles that yeah that might have been I don't think we had made <laughs> in my time here. But we've done you know the you know we, certainly on the small pilot brewery when we're doing two or four barrel batches, but even at a at a larger level, it's um, um, a, a broad range of beers. You know, because we appreciate a broad range of beers, and I, I hope that the current you know the future generations of beer drinkers and brewers are. Uh, you know, continue to appreciate that and not just get too focused on a handful of styles. I think that's what's made U.S. crafts beer so important is the appreciation for a broad range. 
how do you assess that stuff? I mean, especially with you doing R and D in, in that, it, how do you assess like what we should be trying, or you know, how how do you assess what should be a big batch? What was the, what was the Baltic Porter? Which what was the brand of it? The name? Fathomless. Fathomless. That's right. Yeah. So we did a, I saw uh, that on can a release places, of that. Yeah. Nice, cool black label. Um, we did. We also did a Baltic Porter prior to that last year as a collaboration with a brewery um, in uh, in Minnesota called Liftbridge. They're in Stillwater, right on the Wisconsin border. Um, so we've done it a few times, one there. That one was there, obviously, and they barrel-aged it. But uh, it's a cool style of beer. And you can uh, – really, my first exposure to Baltic Porter was uh, if you go you know, up Milwaukee Avenue to um, – to some of the bars and to the liquor stores that carry the Polish beer, uh, you'll get, you know, a Kashyvyets Porter or some of these, you know, they're pretty big bottles, like 500 mil bottles of like a 9% Baltic Porter, but, you know, a style that really, you know, to this day is made in Poland uh, and in Eastern Europe. Uh, so there's there's a Chicago connection there too. Well, I think we all have, you know, styles that we personally gravitate towards. And then there are styles that you brew, you know, uh, for Goose Island to keep the brand going. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's just due to, you know, taproom sales, right? If people like it, uh, we'll continue to brew it. And that's really how, how that happens. You can't force anything down, you know, the consumer's throat, right? You may really, really love to make sautés, but that's going to be a difficult thing to uh, to make a living at. You don't think so? You don't think you can keep doing that? Just kidding. <laughs> I think you could, you but it's going to be it a very, very niche market for sure. Yeah, like if you were just pushing English miles at people, like how how much are you going to be able to do that? And right? again, I think you can. It's just going to be a, a lot more difficult. Right, right. Yeah, and pretty much any sessionable dark beer has fallen mostly out of favor. You know, Imperial Stouts and barrel-aged versions of those certainly are, are quite popular still. But, um, you know, like we did when I started, we were still doing – nut brown and oatmeal stout and um you know more malt forward but lower alcohol beers and um we we have stopped brewing those mostly because they weren't selling right and um you know at the end of the day we're a business that wants to um that wants to sell beer make good beer and sell good beer and so we've changed with the times too um but you know there's um there's always you know the whatever the next thing is is inspired by a what a brewer, you know, we built the R&D program um, out of what the brewing team wanted to brew, right? And some of that's traveling to a place and tasting something that inspires you and bringing that back. And, you know, we've, for a while there, a number of our brewers really wanted to make a German-style alt beer uh, because a lot of brewers gone through Germany for brewing school. Um, and then alt beer really isn't something that was that well represented in U.S. craft, so we brewed an alt beer for a while, and that actually made it all the way up to a large production scale uh, as a seasonal. So um, it, it should always start with brewer excitement and brewer interest, um, and a lot of that just is via that travel or exposure to what's out there. Well, what are some of the, uh, you know, we talked, to, you're talking about some of the styles you're brewing, uh, you know, to f just keep the brand moving. H how does that kind of day-to-day -day look like for just monitoring the consistency that you need to have to make these things at that level, like a 312 or a Goose IPA? I mean, you can get it everywhere. You can get it at every ballpark you go to. I mean, what, what does it take to kind of, what are the protocols in place to kind of make sure that these beers are consistent every time? 
So here at Goose Island, we have a pretty extensive uh, quality lab, and they'll run through checks on every beer, every style, and every day. So we have very close uh, control here. And then for the brands that are cross-brewed, it gets a little bit more difficult. They have their own uh, uh, QA, and they're doing fantastic things. But we ask them to send, send us samples monthly of each batch that they're, that they're brewing so that we can test it on our own. And then we'll sit down in a, uh, in a TP or a telepresence room and taste it with them on camera and give them direct feedback. So they'll get feedback pretty close if, uh, or pretty quick if we like it or if there's something off. And they'll be ranked against the other uh, breweries that are making the same, same beer as well. So they can see how they stack up next to, you know, we have... Uh, uh, three and two and IPA are brewed out of Fort Collins, Colorado, Baldwinsville in New York, um, Montreal up in Canada, now uh, Creston as well, up in British Columbia. How the hell do you manage that? Like that's that seems crazy to me. Like how I'd love to see that like meeting. You know, just kind of, do, do the these brewers have constant contact? Are they getting together in a room once a year to kind of go over this? Like how do they get that protocol when they're like trust enough to be like, all right, now Colorado, you can brew this. Like it's it's this a is lot of communication. Uh, we take uh, we take visits trips out to these breweries and check in on them uh, at least twice a year or. More often, if we're getting a, a new beer up and running, just so we can get it dialed in. Um, and then beyond that, we have constant emails, phone calls, uh, tastings, etc. So we know what's going on at these breweries pretty. Have you ever run into that, though? Like when you go out there, I'm like, what are you guys doing over here? Like, what's a, there's a little grain issue here. There's a oh, yeah. hop issue. You know, that kind of thing. It doesn't happen very often. And really mostly just happens at the beginning stages when you're trying to dial in the recipe, but we've, yeah, we've dumped batches. Uh, I feel like water would, be batches. A big, water would be a big deal. It just be so vastly different, it seems like. I mean, it is, but these breweries are so used to cross-brewing, uh, you know, Budweiser and getting that water profile right that they have that kind of locked in. Okay. It's more using, uh, well, basically the amount of hops that we use uh, that, that that they're not really used to. Like, well, you know, you have these giant breweries <laughs> that are really built for brewing. Like how much hop macro in lockers? This? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We've definitely blown out some some work coolers at pretty much every brewery. Yeah, they're probably shocked when they hear that initially. Well, one of the one of the, my favorite stories I'd ever had told on this was, was like the fifth episode of the show. I mean, this is episode eighty two we're doing right now. And it was t- with Tom Corder, who owns Penrose uh, over in Geneva, and Tom worked for pilot bud uh you know early on in his career and then mary bauer in uh, over at lagunitas the two of them were actually at a a spot together and he just talked about uh, kind of what you kind of touched on a little bit like that kind of uh tele-tasting together uh, with the conference room and but i mean it was like daily for them as far as uh, mary and, and tom had told me um and it was Basically, they would take the pilot brewery and stack it up against, you know, the main Budweiser breweries, you know, uh, and, and they would like we finish last every time, and you know, like quality <laughs> brew brewing of, of the regular version of Budweiser. I just thought that was insane to talk about like the consistency when you get like 21 younger people that are just coming out of school running a brewery making Budweiser versus 10 professional already been doing it for years Budweiser. Yeah. But the value he said he took from that was the pilot brewery, you get to touch everything. Then when you get moved up to one of the big boy breweries, you don't get to touch anything. There's contractor, you know, there's, there's uh, yeah, laborers and that there that are turning the valves and doing whatever else you needed to do. But, yeah, I mean, just wondered that the goose's level, the quality control's got to be insane. It, it's it's huge. I mean, that's the thing, though. You can find goose IPA at pretty much any 
airport, you know, throughout the country. And it needs to be the same. That consistency needs to be there. If it's not, we're going to hear about it. And I can't just go run down to the floor and start yelling at the brewers. I have to get on the phone. I have to talk with the brewmasters at the, these other large breweries. And these are, you know, some pretty big deals within within the brewing world. And we have to sit down, try to figure out what happened. How can we get it? How can we correct? So with with that being said, we're talking about, you know, what what you're doing to keep moving the brand in that as well as kind of brewing what you're supposed to be brewing and kind of the staple brands. Like how do you guys feel about right now? Like what does right now look like to you guys? And and if you're looking at the beer scape, you're in Chicago, I mean, Chicago for, I mean, you could argue it's the best beer city right now, or at least the hottest, trendiest one right now. I mean, how do you guys feel about all over the city, the hazy IPAs, pastry stouts, big Berliner Weisses with fruit, you know, stacked on top of stuff, you know, that, canned grenades full of fruit uh you know non-fermented out i like that phrase canned grenades Uh yeah that's an issue it's a real thing (laughs) it is a real thing for sure i don't know i think ipas are still well remain king Uh, everywhere there's you you can't escape it whether you like hops or not it's everywhere Sure. And what do you guys like to like when you're not drinking goose beer? And what do you do? You guys try the new, you know, kind of the trendy stuff. Do you have people bring you stuff all the time? Like, hey, you work for goose, try this, you know? Yeah, uh, we do bottle shares here uh, every month, and then if we have like brewers visiting us, we'll try. Uh, they bring us something, which is always always cool. I would like to try yeah. what they have, and we'll try a little bit of whatever's out there. But for me, I tend to stick. I'm more of an IPA guy, so I tend to stick with IPAs. Um, I'm not a huge pastry stout guy. That doesn't mean nothing wrong with it. It's just not really what I gravitate mm-hmm. to. Yeah, I think for me, I've got a friend that anytime he comes to town, we'll try to check out a brewery that we haven't yeah. been to yet. And there's there seems to always be one in planning <laughs> and always one that we haven't been to yet. Um, I think like the last time we hung out, we, w- we drove out to the new 18th Street facility. The Hammond one. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and I think on our drive home we saw another brewery like not far away, so I mean that was no doubt about that. Um, well, actually, you can see their sour note branch right there too from oh, like, okay. the back patio of the Hammond facility. Okay. Yeah, they got that sour facility that uh, I think Drew owns it as well, but uh, uh, gotcha. but they have a separate yeah, you know it's a separate thing. That's what we saw. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, there's another yeah. one. Yep. Um, and I think as we like try the beers, you know, we'll whatever I, for me personally like if if i know we're doing a, a goose project or we have something in the works i'll probably at least try if they like the brewery i'm visiting has a similar style i'll at least try their example of it just to kind of inform myself mm-hmm. get a better idea you know um and then after that i'll probably try all the ipas yeah i'm an <laughs> choose IPA my guy favorite. too man I mean, I'll try it all, but I, I, yeah, if I had to go with it, it'd be IPAs all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, the analogy I always use is, you know, genres of music. You know, my, I'm very open-minded when it comes to music, and I'll pretty much listen to any type of, of music uh, that I deem of good quality. I think it's the same with, with beer styles. There's There's very few that I would completely rule out you know maybe pumpkin beers um, i'm with you man i don't know what it is about pumpkin really beers. Did it, it for doesn't me. do it for me but uh yeah. but I, i'm i'm open-minded and um but it's it really comes down to quality and um if i have a good beer 
uh, from a brewery, I'll keep coming back. You know, as soon as I have something that I don't like, it's uh, the door kind of shuts uh, and it may open again. It may not. But there's there's a lot of breweries out there now. And like I said earlier, I, you know, <laughs> my I, I'm far from having my finger on the pulse of things these days with two young kids. Um, but uh, I try to stay up as much as I can. Um, and while I can't get out like I used to, I'll go pick up a four-pack or a six-pack every now and again or a single bottle of something to try it. Uh, but I find myself coming back to those you know, established breweries that, um, that really put quality first. I think that says something too, right? It's a pretty – the marketplace right now is so huge that – if your beer doesn't have quality, then it's not going to do well. It's too easy to, you know, have a beer, and if something's off about it, just go right to the next brewery and probably never come back to it. And you still have hundreds of breweries that you, you know, are in front of it. That, for me, that starts with a package date. Um, I This is how things have changed. I would, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think I ever looked at a right. date. On, I on love a, package dates. But I now, I, now I, I do not, not buy anything right. that does not give me i prefer um that that you know we tell uh, on our package now they say please drink by this date so they went the other way that's okay. informative okay. uh either way yeah. you know if you tell me uh when you packaged it uh and what by, based on what style. style of beer it is i should be able to figure out if we're in that sweet spot or not um but if something's bottle conditioned you know i know it's going to have a little bit more shelf life um so it, you know, breweries now will either tell you when it's when it was bottled or canned, or when they think it's best buy. Um, but it's got to. I, I want to be able to know that the quality is there just based on how long it's been in that bottle or can. Uh, and I won't buy something if it doesn't have some sort of code on, uh, like a date on it. I think part of that though comes from just working in the industry as long as I have that, trying to find that that freshest uh, freshest beer possible i think that's definitely informed by you know where i am right now in my career but i think also people are starting to become a lot better informed uh there's uh, so much you know knowledge out there uh books magazines podcasts like this uh shows that you know people aren't just taking what's being given given them anymore they're they want quality and they're looking for it they know how to find it yep yeah, there's a crazy mismatch of like consumer side of things nowadays because there's that. I agree with you 100% on what you said, but there's also this crazy like untapped ticker. You know, everybody just wants to try every single thing and nobody wants, there's no brand loyalty. There's no, you know, I'm just going to keep buying this over and over and over again. It's like everybody's just chasing down. And that's not every, when I say everybody, I don't mean everybody, but I'm saying like there's these factions of consumers that are just kind of in it for like, almost like a status thing, you know, like I've tried all these big stouts, I've tried all this, you know, there's trading, there's cross-country trading, there's people selling it on the aftermarket. You guys would know that better than anybody with the Bourbon County line over there, you know, however many years now. So it's just, this. it's a weird market right now, and I don't really have my finger on exactly what, the, what it is, but it's like it's all these things kind of combined, uh, like the packaging label, dates, things like that. I'm hoping that that moves forward and just everybody just does that. I mean, a lot of people are doing it, but uh, it's also a trend I'm seeing too. And some of the smaller breweries are trying to uh, not only just get, get a packaging, but try to monitor the best they can. I mean, it's really hard and everybody knows it's impossible to keep track of all of your inventory and where it's at, depending on how what your footprint is. 
but I'm starting to see some of these guys worry about storage too. I mean, obviously the hazy IPA thing's a different animal. It's like you need to make those, sell those, drink those quickly. Otherwise, you're going to have a shit product sitting on the shelf. You can't make giant scaled up batches and throw them to every you know grocery store and liquor store and expect that product to sell through and have quality. But it, it's it's becoming more of a trend to kind of make sure, are, are you keeping my product cold? You know, like take more of that lead going into these places. Now, I know you guys have people that do that, your brand representatives and that, that go out to stores. I mean, how important is that to you guys? Because I've seen some brands get shit on because probably not properly rotated through stock and probably selling beer that's out of code that they shouldn't have, you know. And then you taste it and you go, oh, I don't like this beer. And like you said, they might just move on to another brand. No, it's huge. Uh, and I think Cold Chain in, in you know, specifically – is very very important for it so you want to make sure that your beer leaves the brewery cold stays cold through its journey gets to the uh, uh gets to the store it stays cold there are certain brands that can weather a little bit of shelf time bourbon county you know is one of those <laughs> you think it, it's a, it, God, it weathers it a little I've bit had so many old bourbon counties that taste perfect it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy but uh i know that whenever i go into any store even if i'm not you know specifically there to get beer i'm going to walk through the beer aisle i'm going to see what's going on you know is our beer fresh how's it looking on the shelves how's it looking in the in the cooler and if i see something that's you know out of date i'll buy it and i'll pull it or if it's too much then i'll get in contact with our with our sales reps and have them come in and pull it because that reflects badly on me if it's you know if the beer is out of date yep it's just something that I'm seeing. Uh, I think Anthony over at Triptych down in Savoy, he's really taken kind of like a. He's really been testing this for the last couple of years on his on his in his own time. You know, he's storing warm, storing cold for mm-hmm. a year. You know, and, and tasting as he goes along off of his own stash. You know, and I've seen his sales guy uh, Mike come in and different stores and just like get in the cooler or else you know we'll have to we'll replace it they'll replace it with oh, yeah. fresher beer if it's sat out warm for a month or something but i think that's smart yeah i think uh, having the lab that we do helps a lot in like as far as our the stability of our product going to market because to your point i think it's going to get increasingly harder to control um cold space right just because there's so much going to market right everything part of like it's awesome to have a huge selection but part of that by nature means everything's moving a little slower so things are going to sit longer to your point um like i know when i met brett porter um while i was at flossmore and it was because we had bottles like break due to you know i think we were um at the time we weren't doing forced fermentations and we had like uh, so there were, you know we had this english strain uh, it was a low attenuator it didn't necessarily flock out completely you'd have a hot summer day and it was like inevitable some of the bottles that were being stored warm we'd have like yeah. a, a little re-fermentation in the bottle and a pop right and then i know um one thing that was awesome at the time and like we i certainly appreciated about goose when i was at flossmore was Brett was like, you know, bring your bottles in, we'll check them, and kind of helped us. And I remember working with Jason Karras at the time as well. Um, like, they kind of helped guide us. And because, I mean, let's be honest, like, you're being at that level, you know, in Fosmore is like a 
basically like a 15 barrel brew pub, right? Like we don't necessarily have all the equipment that Goose currently has and uh, access to. So it's like, what can we do to try to ensure that we have the most stable product moving forward? And that's kind of like uh, Jason helped introduce us to rapid fermentations, which I mean, we were probably doing in like a really dorky way, just a little flask and some tin foil and pitching a bunch of yeast in, occasionally, you know, putting it, putting it in the furnace room and occasionally stirring it by hand. But like that gave us a better idea to, you know, kind of help guide our, our decision making there. And I think that'll be increasingly important and, you know, anybody that's packaging, I would say like, please invest in a dissolved oxygen meter. And if you can't at least have somebody that can check that for you, because I think that's going to be the number one uh, thing that as cold storage is variable. Like that's, if you have an issue with dissolved oxygen, your beer will suffer for it. And I think that's largely what I see in packaged products. I love that you brought that up because I've talked, not even just on the podcast, but like on a personal level, just with the relationships I've built with some of the brewers and the, the local breweries that I'm visiting. It's like that dissolved oxygen meter was something last year. I didn't even know what the hell it was. And now I've got more and more guys telling me, you know, I'm spending $20,000 on a dissolved oxygen meter. I but, think you know, it's worth it. Yeah, they're, they're not cheap, everybody but seems they're, to think it is. Yeah. they're very important, you, you know. know. Well, I mean, and to relay that to like a consumer that might not give a shit about what a dissolved oxygen meter is, that, that to me, as a, as like a fair, not 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 totally uh, educated consumer, but from what I've talked to about these guys, to me that equates to like, let's say like current trend hazy IPA, like I got a browned out hazy IPA or something like maybe it fell out like out of suspension or something like has a lot to do with the oxygen or am I off base on that? Like get some of that kind of like diacetyl almost flavor, like the buttery. Well, particularly with cans, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, a proper made can with a proper liner is um, is a fine vessel, but the but small canning lines can often suffer from high TPOs and uh, oxygen pickup. And um, I think if you've got yeast in presence, like unfiltered yeah. beer, right, like very popular, uh, the presence of yeast uh, and oxygen pickup, you could have, you certainly could have, and I think we've all tasted it many times, a diastole. Um, you know, a spike in the package. Um, so, and then there's other issues. I mean, there's general package safety, like you're talking about, you know, can grenades <laughs> and all that, and like blending in cold puree to crash beer and then basically telling your consumers to keep the can cold, keep it cold. you know, treat it like milk. Drink it fresh. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, it's kind of a crazy concept for us because, you know, that's not how we do things here. Package stability is incredibly um important to us but then just general quality things like oxygen pickup making sure your beer tastes fresh for as long as possible and given we have the opportunity to taste the beer everywhere from you know at every place along the line you know uh the in the bright tank or the freshest it's going to be and then you know tracking the package from day one and and beyond uh and trying to ensure cold chain when we can but knowing that oftentimes it's not going to be unfortunately yeah, it's a, it's something that I hopefully is growing more concern to everybody. I mean, you guys are watching the Chicago area and the suburbs. Like, there's just breweries everywhere. Now. I mean, it's just wild. Uh, it's unbelievable how many small breweries are opening up. So it's like, the, the people they're gonna have to figure these things out eventually. I mean, they have to do it right away. But you know, it's something that it, it should be a goal to shoot for, right? I mean, this this the importance of these things. 
Well, I think that was one of the issues with the uh, first wave of craft beer, you know, back in the 90s, uh, was quality, right? Uh, there was a huge uh, upsurge in, in craft breweries, and the beer just wasn't there, uh, wasn't really ready yet, and it died off. And now we're in a, a new resurgence of it, and that's great. Uh, but I think people are looking at quality uh, a lot more, a lot more closely uh, moving forward. So it's a good thing. Not everyone's yeah. able to do everything that they can about it. You know, a $20,000 DO meter is pretty expensive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are generally breweries out there that will help you out. You know, if, you know your buddy down the street has a DO meter, see if you can borrow it for, for a bit and test out your tanks. Our, our, our lab's open for any local breweries that you know, want to run tests or willing to help them out. This is a story I've heard many times on this podcast about Goose uh, Island specifically being helpful, (laughs) just very helpful. Because I think, you know, you might might, uh, sometimes get painted as like the big corporation um, just based on InBev and that. But but it's like people don't realize how locally and how much help that you guys are. I've heard stories about you guys sending stuff off for Fobab for uh, small breweries and, you know, anything, like you said, the lab being open. Sure. I actually met one of your lab techs, uh, Joe, I think his name was. I met Joey, him. yeah. Yeah, I met him over yeah. at uh, Riverland Soft Opening. He's he's good friends with Sean Burns over at Phase 3 and that. And hey, Great guy, by the way. Great guy, but I yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's great to hear that. Like, uh, I think John Butler actually t- mentioned something about like taking just like the boots you guys wear, you know, in the brewery are better than the ones that he was using or something. You know, well, we have a lot of resources, you know, available to us, and we're not out there to like to we're out there to sell beer. We're not out there to crush anyone, right? Uh, so we're willing to help out as much as we can. Yeah, that should that's part of the responsibility of being a big brewery. Mm-hmm. You know, not just big for. Chicago being um, part of a much larger uh, brewing operation with, like you said, with, with Anheuser-Busch InBev. So that's that's part of the responsibility we have and we wear. And, and, and this isn't the only case. It's been of a small brewery like uh, oh, yeah. like Bjorn mentioned with Flossmoor. Mm-hmm. The doors are open uh, for for assistance in many different ways, you know, any technical learnings or quality brewing, et cetera, you know, hops. Yeah. Uh, hops going out to actually Weiner uh, Brian mentioned that uh, <laughs> at uh, Green City Market when I he was pouring some beer he goes oh these are with Goose uh, Goose Citra there you go he, you know, he, yeah he he's been uh, we've been helping him out I think the last he keeps saying like this is the last batch and then <laughs> I won't need later, he said hey man he's uh, slowly working working his way through our, our yeah. citrus he's supply. actually supposed to be coming in today to pick some up yeah so, so, <laughs> so these are so cheap now I mean I figure yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah those hop contracts are good when, when something like that's going on I mean I was talking to Anthony on a trip to about this you know it's like $13 per pound versus $30 if you're spot buying on certain some of these galaxy citra hops and that, even if yeah if you're able to spot buy right if I you're able if you're able to get them I think spots running out in some instances as well yeah it can be really it can be difficult even at our size if you're trying to build a brand around a couple of the newer unique hops and you know all of a sudden you need hundred thousand pounds fifty thousand pounds of something it gets it can be difficult like galaxy i can't get enough galaxy to really launch a new brand with yeah yeah you don't want to do that i would (laughs) it'd be great i would love to but i just i just can't um you know on the subject of like playing nice with other breweries and that like how do you guys decide who you're gonna who you 
say yes to on a collab, you know, like, cause I'm sure plenty of people want to collab with Goose Island. I'm sure you guys at breweries you admire that you'd like, you know, would love to do something with you guys. Mm. First of all, they have to not, not be a jerk. Yeah. That's and a good, that, that's a good that's start. <laughs> don't be a dick. And don't be a dick. <laughs> it's, usually, it's usually like a relationship. I know when I proposed, uh, a collaboration I worked on probably what back in like 2015 was with dry hop and I had, I knew Greg Schuff. We went to brewing school together. And so that's kind of where I had that relationship. And then I remember just proposing it to Brett Porter at the time and Mike. And you said, sure, sounds <laughs> tasty. And yeah, they should start with the, that relationship, that personal level, right? And as brewers, we're always connected to other brewers and other breweries. And uh, so that's where these things start. It's just a very natural, um, you know, it might be your buddy they went to brewing school with and they're brewing you know, some other uh, part of town or part of the country. Um, so, no, we, we don't we don't like arranged marriages and things yeah. like that. Like, you oh, know, it makes sense for us to do this. It's not a commercial strategy. It's really yeah. just starting from a very basic, simple level of let's get together, you know. And that may be with um, a chef or a restaurant or um doesn't have to be another brewery. Of course, we've yeah, done well, collaborations with... Podcasts. What? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I finally snaked my way into a collaboration yeah. a few months ago. It was awesome. Nice. I got another one coming. I'm doing a mead, actually, with Miss Behaven. I'm wearing their shirt. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just do a mead for the podcast. It's very excited. No, I was just I was asking just because uh, I think... I was at Dark Lord this year. Uh, it was actually my first time going to Dark Lord Day. And I was sitting under a tent with a bunch of, you know, like hardcore beer nerds just passing whales around, that kind of thing. And somebody handed me uh, what looked like a Bourbon County label, but it was a cookies and cream, uh, and I believe it was with three sons in Goose Island. And it was, yeah, it was outstanding, but it was like from, it was from across the country or something. Is that, uh, you're looking like, no, no, hmm. not you guys? I'll have to look into that Yeah, one. I, 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 I don't know when it happened, but it was <laughs> called, it, it looked like, uh, like kind of like the 2014 kind of label almost. Uh, and it was three sons, and uh, and it said goose on there. It said they they were part of the collab, and it was called Cookies and Cream. <laughs> yeah, I what don't know. Maybe what year some. was this? I, I think it just came out this past year, as far as I know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe seen. we'll have to do some invest investigating on this. <laughs> yeah. I do remember seeing a, an image? Uh, yeah, kind of popping up on the on the internet's about it. But Ooh, we'll have to see? look into that. See, you know. look at I'm I'm causing a, a stir now. <laughs> I thought for sure it looked legit. It looked like it was, uh, you know, something. They're a big pastry stout uh, group down down at Three Sons. They use some big old pastry stouts, some popular ones. I thought, oh, maybe they just went down there and did like a some sort of tight version of it. No, you guys all look very, no way. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, anyways, that my, my, <laughs> the next thoughts I was gonna have were on were on Bourbon County themselves. So yep. I mean, that's that's a different animal. That's like a whole that's a whole thing. You guys could have your own Bourbon County Brewery, like really, right? I mean, uh, it's a large part of what we do, yeah. for sure. Uh, it's certainly we've certainly seen it grow over you know over the years. Um, from like I said, uh, just a couple of uh, couple of thousand barrels, couple hundred barrels uh, when I first started to you know uh, where it is today, over ten thousand barrels, and moving from. A few barrels stored across in the garages across the street and being driven back and forth to going over to our giant uh, warehouse facility on Sacramento. I think we went from like 30,000 square feet of barrel storage space over here to 130,000 square feet, if I remember correctly. So 
Is that uh, is the the Barrel House? Is that the one on Sacramento? That, that's yep. the one they refer to as like the Barrel House. Yeah, you guys had like an event there in the last couple of years, with like Chris Chelios and Paul Coffey or something for the Hawks Red Wings. Not that long ago, right? Okay, I haven't been to that facility yet, but that so that's just dedicated almost solely to barrel stuff. Uh, the original part was a huge barrel aging facility. We opened uh, an event center uh, there as well uh, in the past couple of years. So they'll do you know different meetings. At, weddings Bjorn actually got married at the barrel warehouse oh, yeah, nice. March 30th <laughs> so uh, but then we've also moved all of our our, our warehouse uh, area over there as well so everything pretty much gets uh, right off the packaging line here into a truck and delivered over to Sacramento where you know it'll either go into uh, uh, the cooler or go onto a different truck for uh, delivery oh shit oh yeah looks like a great great little oh, sorry about that a little <laughs> ding there Time's up? No, never. <laughs> never up. Ah, yeah. You know what? Um, okay, so I was looking up that while we were talking just to, to see. So did bourbon, Did you guys do a Bourbon County Cookies and Cream in 2018? Like some sort of a small batch of it? No. No. Oh, okay. I don't know why it comes up that. It just comes up to Cookies and Cream. And it's I'm, amazing what you can do with a printer these days. Right? But, I mean, it's a legit bottle, and it's like that. I don't know. I'll anything do, I'll, anything I'll with the Bourbon more. County name would only come out of... Yeah, it's like labeled as 2018 Bourbon County Cookies and Cream. And it's like check-ins all over on it, on Untapped. Very mm-hmm. interesting. All right, we'll do more digging on that when, <laughs> when we're not sitting here talking. So, I mean, how, how did you guys see that change, though, for for the years you guys have all been here and just kind of what it was to what it is? I mean, I'm, I guess from a consumer side of things, I'm watching it was like 2013. It was all of a sudden this these variants and then now even today you know people are going nuts uh, for anywhere from 2010 OG rare to to the 2014 series basically in general all of it the backyard rye the prop all that stuff and they're still drinking like they're as good as any beer on the market right now I mean if you guys watch that kind of growth for your time here and go what the hell do we have yeah I, you know when when I first started it was pretty much OG BCS and then you know added a coffee variant uh, the uh, barley wine came soon after that. Then bramble, cherry rye, you know. Then we started doing uh, the proprietor series, and really, these were all kind of led off, you know, out of desire by the brewers to accentuate everything that was already in Bourbon County. So you know, those vanilla notes uh, that you get from the barrels from the bourbon, that became you know vanilla rye, right? Um, and just trying to play with what whatever was already in in the beer, and then accentuating it, going uh, going from there. Well, I mean, the now you're up to. I'm looking behind you guys to get the wall full of Bourbon Counties. You get everything from the Reserve, and then what eight different variants on them most years? Seven different variants. Yeah, it it, it really hasn't stopped. Uh, I think at this point, uh, I don't know. We've got a pretty good handful of them uh, coming out this year, but. Uh, it, like I said, it's just kind of a, a way for us to be unique and, you know, keep having fun with it. I mean, obviously they're they're great and they're beloved by the by beer nerds across the country. Uh, the Bourbon County stuff, the November twenty, you know, the the what is it, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving or the Thursday? Is it the Friday? Black Friday. Friday. Black Friday. Friday. That's it. So Black Friday is a huge like holiday in the beer world. I mean, do you guys watch that from from your perspective and just be like, oh, it's cool, you know, it's it's work and you know, no big deal, or is that like still exciting for you guys every year when you're going through this stuff? 
I'm usually visiting family in Mid- yeah. Midland, Michigan, so I, I haven't been <laughs> around out of for it. it I don't know. I think it's it it's it's pretty cool. It's very unique, and you know, I think we feel pretty honored that people are still out there. You know, going uh, ser- seeking it out, lining up. You know, the day before, you know, leaving their families on on Thanksgiving to come line up for you know a release of bourbon or down. bringing their families or too. bringing <laughs> their families, which is even better. My yeah. wife and I go like to Menards and get some paint for really cheap, and then we go just wait in line at the liquor store down the street. We know the guys that own it. Like it's, it's every year. We it's been fun now. I don't know. I don't need to, but we do it anyway because it's kind of like tradition now. I'm just waiting for the day yeah. when we see someone with a full-on uh, Thanksgiving spread, you know, table, chairs, <laughs> tablecloth. You know what? The Hailstorm Brewing guys yeah, came close. They had a full table at the Binnie's in uh, Orland Park this year. A full table with complete with, like, nin- Nintendo Switch, uh, you know, full spread. <laughs> and it was mostly dips and stuff, but it was pretty impressive to, to nice. see the, the TV uh, generator. Like, they were, they were uh, all out. They, cool. they left their family parties and went right to line and had a good old time with it. Uh, it's 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 a cool thing though. I mean, it still like brings people together. It turns into like bottle shares and stuff in line while you're waiting. You know, we're a bunch of de- degenerates in the beer world. What can we say? You know, we we love it. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much fun waiting for it. But uh, I just always wonder, like from your guys' perspective, it's like you so much goes into it, building up to it, and then that day, and then basically you're getting ready to do it again next year already. I mean, it's end of July. It's like it feels like November's right here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Bourbon County is a year-round effort, right? Whether it's ideation or filling barrels uh, and then a long period of emptying barrels and making variants and all that. So uh, we all spend a lot of time on it throughout the year. Um, yeah. So and we we never take, hopefully never take it for granted when it comes, uh, comes out on Black Friday um, or the Wednesday before when we'll do some, some tappings uh, around town. So it's... It's uh, as I've said in the past. It's like graduation day, where you've spent uh, the better part of a year, sometimes two years, working on some of these, and you finally get to release them and share them with everyone else. Um, it's a it's a pretty awesome day for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's got to be pretty cool, right? I mean, it's like watching watching your babies go out into the market and and do well. Uh, it, the and then the other thing now, like aside from the, like you, you are you guys sports guys at all, man? So see, you know used to be football season was football season you get the fantasy football you get that build up you're, you're like missing football when it's not going on and then they added like you know free agent season basically and then the coverage covers so now when your guys' labels come out it's like the whole other thing it's like free agency coverage right there they're like did you see that variant they're doing this year holy shit you know and then there's like fake ones that come out it'll be like one it was like a horchata one last year or something everybody's like this is gonna be awesome and then they're like oh it wasn't a real label or whatever it was yeah, I think we. That's something that we're uh, always amused by is the how closely people fi- uh, look at the uh, the filings, uh, the TTB filings uh, for those for that information. So that's something that's I feel like has changed since when I started uh, that level of that kind of in depth uh, uh, research and, and journalism that people want. Journalism, I like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, writing stories about uh, a TTB label filing. Uh-huh. Um, things like that so uh, that's amusing people are already like trading it before it's even made I mean it's, it's hilarious at, at the end of the day for us again it, it always comes back to quality we want to make the best pop possible versions of these beers and we try to keep it new and exciting with the variants every year because we we fully understand that that's where a lot of people are excited uh, the number one priority is get, making sure bourbon county stout uh, the original is the best beer every single year 
um, not just because that's the original and that's um, it's so important to us as a beer, but it feeds the variants as well, right? So uh, the variants are built off of that beer, so that the original always has to be the best it's ever been every year. Uh, and that's the that's the torch that we're carrying now from Greg, um, and so uh, and, and again, never take it for granted. Uh, granted that um, that these beers excite people, um, so we're we're incredibly proud of them. They take up a lot of our time, and, and we spend a lot of efforts. Um, this you know this like he said, thirty six people on the brewing team. Um, just about everybody has something to do with Bourbon County Stout. That's a lot of boiling, yeah. right? <laughs> Man, that's got to be a long boil, a lot of long days. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I think we the the mandate was we shoot for above two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's probably just from years of practice and efficiency increasing. I would ma- imagine. It used to be, jeez, well, it was about Six five hours. Four to five, uh, yeah. yeah. When I started, that's. Well, we have better boilers now. Right. We have right. better efficiency through the brew house. So we're, we're yeah. it's still the same Bourbon County. <laughs> we're just getting better at making it. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, it's it's funny to watch watch regular Bourbon County sometimes gets lost in the shuffle amongst the variants, and then people realize like how great it is when they they're like, oh man, I haven't had a regular in a while, and then they go, oh shit, this is awesome. Yeah. You forget how good it is. Um, so yeah, I mean that's something that's. Obviously, hand in hand, when somebody sees Goose Islands on a podcast, they're going to want to hear about Bourbon County. You know, it's something that the the, the modern beer nerd is always worried about. Uh, but the other brands, like, do you, were you guys around like when certain brands caught fire? Like, aside from Bourbon County Stout, and uh, I watched IPA grow from you know forty thousand barrels to three hundred thousand barrels almost overnight. That's crazy. It seemed like three hundred thousand barrels. Yeah, so that that was a that was definitely an eye opener into both, you know, how cross brewing happens, and then uh, you know, supply of raw materials. We were on a hunt for Centennial for yeah a number of years. Talk about buying really expensive hops yeah. on, on spot. Yeah, those seas, man, and not not utilized like they used to be by yeah. every you know by by the uh, small breweries at least you know not a lot of west coast specific northwest kind of bite to the ipa game anymore these days yeah the seeds have really kind of fallen out of out of favor you know uh except for citra which wasn't one of the originals right. but no. citra galaxy mosaic it's the sexy ones now yeah we've talked about brewing a like a 90s style ipa all seas <laughs> just kind of for fun Throwback Centennial Cascade, what? So can, maybe a little, can, maybe a little Columbus, maybe a little Chinook. Chinook. There you go. Yeah, throwback. Make it, you know, malty, high bitterness, hundred plus BUs. <laughs> Just really throw, uh, throw the hazies for a loop. I don't know. Yeah, one day it'll come back. It'll, it'll come, come back. back. Nostalgia. <laughs> I, Nostalgia. I enjoy IPA. talking to a lot of the brewers because it's like the brewers are making these things, but they're also like, I only drink pilsners and I only drink yeah. lagers or like I want to. Like, there's some small breweries out in the suburbs taking a stand right now. There's some guys just making lagers right now, man. And a lot of that probably stems from like watch, you know, they're getting burned out and then see what like uh you know what john laffler's doing he's just doing what he does and not worried about what everybody else wants all the time and then looking at uh, like hagen and bill over at dovetail they're just yep. cranking out these beautiful old world style and loggers and hellas and all that they're just awesome so and they're doing a really really nice job at them mm-hmm. for sure 
Yeah, yeah I mean, and you guys just had a natural villain, right? I mean, natural villains out there. Is that is that all year round lager yeah. for you guys right now? Yeah, we just launched that earlier this year, but that's our, you know, it's a really nice, easy drinking, easy drinking lager. I've seen you guys come out with some some good stuff in the last couple of years that people are really gravitating towards to like uh, seasonally. Like that SPF has been very popular. The uh, paper umbrellas. I mean, you kind of like do a good job of matching that kind of seasonality of, uh, for the beer and giving some people a break from just what what's the new hazy IPA? What's the new you know stout? Well, I think you just got to remember that not everyone is an Uber you know Uber beer geek. Yeah. There's still the other 98% of the people out there that, that just want to drink a beer and have a good time. So we have to make beers for them as well, or we get to make beers for them as well. And I think that's kind of where, you know, SPF falls in. It's pretty light, crushable, easy pool summer. Pool beer. Yeah. Great pool beer. Great for Especially hot weather. Like last week was just unbearable. No, was uh, yesterday was like the break. Finally got that break. But I think as soon as the rains hit on, you know, Saturday night, that just, mm-hmm. yeah. Why didn't you guys develop Natter Days first? That's my question. See, that's the hot shit right now. <laughs> Natter Days and White Claw are all over the place right now. Talk to my R&D manager. <laughs> so what about you with the R&D stuff? I mean, like, what, what do you kind of, what sparks for you? I mean, is it, is it a conglomeration of talking to people and ideas or just like, if you come in one day and you just like tried a beer while you were on vacation and loved it and you're like, we want to try something like this. Do you get to do that or is it kind of like, you're just taking input, 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 and then we kind of push ourselves to like let's let's R and D this. Let's go two barrel batch. Yeah, it, it's a big brewing team, right? So my job is generally facilitating idea development amongst the whole brewing team. So, uh, and just about everybody here uh, is has an interest in writing recipes and creating new beers. Um, some some have been writing recipes for for many years. Some are just getting started. So we've got a, a wide range of uh, backgrounds here, people that have brewed for a uh, short time, long time. Um, so we try to, um, when we start very small, right? Two barrel batch. Uh, and that's enough to, if successful, if it pass, passes taste panel, which every single beer has to, it goes to our tap room. Uh, it's a handful of kegs and it's on for maybe a weekend and then it's gone and uh, we might brew it again, we might not. So um, so as far as that initial inspiration, it's coming from a wide range of people with a wide range of backgrounds. And I think that's why what we talked about earlier, we're not really focused on a couple of different, like just hazies or mm-hmm. just IPA. Um, when, uh, when, if you, if your brewery is structured, so you have a brewmaster who's essentially writing all the recipes or a founder or a head brewer that's writing all the recipes, you might be more focused or that person might be more focused on a couple of styles. But I think just through our very nature, uh, all of us get involved in the in the ideation process and the beer creation process. So my job, yes, I've got some ideas of my own, um, but it's really about kind of getting everyone involved in the process, engagement of our entire team. So it's something we spend a lot of time on is engagement, right? And by that, I mean just... It, a brewer wants to come here to brew beer, um, but these days it's maybe different than it was 10 plus years ago when the expectation was you'd show up and you'd flip some valves and drag some hoses and pumps around and maybe you wouldn't get involved in the beer creation process. That was the, was the brewmaster's job. These days the expectation of brewers coming in is that, yes, we want we need them to be doing those things, but we're also going to, once they become uh, set in, in their training, which may you know may take a year or more, 
um, once they get comfortable engaging the creative side of their brewing brain, that's when we'll get them involved. And there's various ways of doing that. Um, so we try not to get in a rut of just doing the, you know, keeping the, the ideation all the same. It's coming from a, a wide range of people. Do you guys yeah. have like uh, the stories or anything of, of just ideas that people have pitched and you've been like, what? Like what's the weirdest thing somebody's been like, this is where we go. This is what we should try. One of my, uh, so we, we do a series called the Fulton Wood series that we've had a lot of really good beers come out of, you know, uh, Fathomless was, you know, one that Mike just mentioned. But uh, during one of my early, early Fulton Wood teams, uh, there was a, a suggestion to do a, a Chicago hot dog beer that didn't make it very far. Like hot dog water? Like what? hot dog water, <laughs> relish, pickles, sport pepper, like How, everything. What style were they were they thinking in that regard? I don't think they even got that far. They I've were seen just like the to, dill in Weiss, like the you know, dill pickle, yeah. you know, the dill pickle Berliner. I've seen that. <laughs> Man, there's some weird stuff out there. But that sounds that, that sounds that tough. Was, that was one of the uh, the strangest ones that I've heard yeah. for sure. It sounds like it. I'm sure, it could be done. But it would be a difficult style to pull off. Who's drinking that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta eat my hot dog. That's usually where that roadblock happens. Is who's drinking that? So yeah. there's a lot of ideas, That's right? There's so checks and balances. There's never we've never been short on ideas, but some things never make it outside of you know putting of the whiteboard or putting pen to paper. Uh, but I think going back to Fulton Wood and a beer that we talked about. Uh, before we started recording was Kazetsu, which was a sake saison. Yes, yes. One of the more interesting beers that we've made here, and it was it was uh, created by a couple of our uh, quality lab uh, uh, technicians that were uh, fascinated with uh, koji rice and the making of sake, but also saison. The nerds. Uh, mashing <laughs> in something that they intentionally underconverted, converted uh, used a, a Saison strain and then added, this is where we had the volcano. As we, I, we, I was we, waiting we for you to use that term rice. again. <laughs> we added the koji rice to the top board of the tank and it volcanoed. And actually, you know, Denny McCarthy and his, his penny loafers uh, got pretty soaked that day on the uh, scissor lift. But you the, said it the, like uh, you said it in like such a verb sort of way when you said it earlier. You're like, so we just volcanoed one of the tanks, yeah, and yeah, I you, thought this was like a term that I was not, you know, like, like I don't know, some sort of uh, pacification of the tanks or something. We just volcanoed one. Yeah, no, there's, literally there's, just mean it's not a dry hopping, yeah. cleaning, volcanoing. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> not something we hope to do very often at all, and it hasn't happened too many times. But um, a couple, you know, it's happened a couple times over the years. You know, either with dry hopping or or adding something uh, to the top of the tank. But um, but the, anyway, the beer turned out fantastic, and um, it, we, um, it, we'd we never done anything quite like that before. So it's, you know, you talked about collaborations earlier. One of the things for me, whenever we do a collaboration, or at least when I'm involved in a collaboration, is to make sure we incorporate some new element to it. You know, it could be a new yeast, a new malt or, or grain or adjunct or hop or even a process, right? That keeps it, that keeps the creative juices flowing. We're not just getting together and doing kind of autopilot. Let's get a beer out to the world. Let's incorporate something new into it. And that's, that's something we've always, I always strive to do, you know, when we're, when we're making a new recipe, particularly a collaboration. Yeah. And you're conversating a lot. I would imagine you're, you're bouncing ideas back and forth off one another. And it's like, you you know, it might be done at one or the other brewery, but you also maybe they use a certain yeast strain that you've never used, so maybe bring that into the picture, like that kind of thing. Yeah, as long as you've got an open mind, right? Uh, there's, 
you know, a wide range of, you know, potential opportunities, like, um, as long as it isn't hard seltzer. <laughs> not hard seltzer. No, nobody's ready for that yet. Yeah. Too many. A lot of people are. Uh, just, it's it's feels not like where I'm coming at. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a beer guy. and uh, No laws when drinking claws. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a phrase? I, I like think that. so. Did you just coin there's that? A, there's a YouTube video. Oh, of a, uh, it's pretty It's pretty comical. Some comedian doing a whole thing about him, about the about the claws. But, uh, yeah, anyways, I'm not there yet. I'm not in the, I'm not, not down with a that. A lot just of craft breweries tr- are I'll getting into it. that hard seltzer thing, I'm seeing it. Places that I wouldn't have thought, you know, uh, we're going to jump into it. Really There's a market it for yeah. it for sure. I mean, now that in the last uh, year I've been working at a bottle shop in the suburbs, uh, you know, and I've, I've seen it. There's a market for it for sure on the consumer level. But I mean, our clientele is mostly like some pretty engaged beer folk, you know, versus yeah. your yeah. just average kind of like, oh, I just need some beer kind of consumer. But I think it's good to understand the appeal. And sometimes that understanding can drive you to pursue like uh, uh i don't know i like i think for 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 us i know i saw the popularity of like truly uh and michelob ultra and it's kind of like all right what's driving these like they're locale and that actually kind of kind of made me think about like what a low calorie beverage would look like and like what we would need to do and then being like ipa being my favorite style how we could maybe like what would we need to do to kind of fit that but also like support a big hop nose and that kind of drove like a slightly different approach like uh, one of my you know, a brewer that I worked with here, uh, Stoney, he came from the AB Network. He knew how to make Michelob, and he actually compared Michelob Ultra to, like, the Brute IPA trend. And I remember we were trying to, I think we had a Fulton and Wood Brute, uh, like Dry Life, it might still be on in the tap room. But I remember, like, taking notes from him because he, like, we were in a tasting. He's like, oh, I don't like Brute. It's bitter Michelob, man. And I knew we were making one, so it's like, tell me how to make a Michelob Ultra and I just took some notes and a few of those things like a a really long mash rest that I think it was like 152 increases you know like that this is from like years of them dialing in that recipe Mm -hmm. we just took it applied it to our brute we didn't use enzymes I think we got in the upper 70s RDF I mean so like we still had our little craft stance which was no enzymes but we like took some of the techniques that they had and applied it to and that was you know I like that I like I think that's it I would never shrug off any of the current trends because you never know what you might be able to apply well I don't think you look at you know uh you look at those trends and you see if you want to pull anything out of it, like that low calorie, you know, I'm not a, I mean, look at me, I'm not a big low calorie kind of guy, but there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, are gravitating towards that style. And how can we make something that has more flavor and character than some of the other low calorie offerings out there? How can we make a, you know, really nice IPA that's also low calorie? Yeah, I like the I like that thought. I mean, just the general general uh, gist of what you were saying, just Bjorn uh, just talking about yeah. uh, taking something from the interactions. I love to watch well, people yeah. do that. It's like it might not be something that you're like, oh, I want to do this, but it's something that like, wait, there's something in that process I might be able to use. Yeah, well, like we kind of recognize, okay, like so Michelob Ultra, all the calories are coming from 
from alcohol because it's like a highly fermented beer, right? Now, like, what if you flip that and you say, okay, uh, I still want to be within that range for alcohol, like, or like you you want to be in the range for calories, right? So you say, okay, I can only have like this much extract, right? Uh, and now I can either ferment it all the way out and have something clean and crisp like a Michelob Ultra, or maybe I use some other techniques. I don't ferment it as far. I leave a little residual extract. So you maybe take a hit on the ABV, and maybe you're at 3% instead of 5 But then you have some residual extract that you can balance a, a hop load, and that, that's honestly a process like that we went through to develop a new beer we have coming out called Solo. Oh, that's what Solo going to be. Yeah. So is that top secret? Yeah. I don't think you so. Just gave the whole recipe and process away. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. I think we pretty much just told we're, you we're awesome. like how to how to go about making your own Solo. <laughs> also, Mick Ultra. So home brewers. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that's uh. Yeah, it's it's kind of like following that thought and then thinking about what you want to do and how you could maybe get there, right? So what what uh, kind of, uh, so solo specifically, what would be like their classification of that beer? Like a session IPA type or like what, what would you what fall you under? Extra session maybe? <laughs> Fitness uh, IPA? Ugh, please, <laughs> diet, <laughs> diet IPA. Diet. Oh yeah, God, no, no. kill me if that ever comes uh, out. The goal was to get to under, under a, 100 calories so it's 98 pretty cool the the, the, ultra ultra sessional is three percent you know 98 calories huge hop note to it it's still like i said i I don't really like the whole low calorie like aspect but this is a it's a pretty good ipa but why not try it (laughs) the ipa itself is good the Mm -hmm. fact that it has lower calories is just a bonus byproduct of it yeah Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, i think uh, originally the goal was to make a three percent IPA, and then we kind of, as we did, and we got a calorie count on it, we realized that we were really close. I think like the first trial came out at 107, and we said, oh, if we if we adjust that that OG just a little bit, I think we could dial this in, and then we were able to successfully do that. So now we not only do we have our three percent IPA, but we have something that kind of fits into locale. Okay. Yeah, it didn't start with the idea of we need a locale beer to get to market. It was this idea that happened to be very close to that, uh, that we could kind of nudge it under, you know. So, again, the idea, the theme's the same. It's it's brewers getting together. They're inspired by something. They've got a motivation to make something, for whatever reason it may be, um, that, it, that it works for the brewery here from a developmental program uh, standpoint. And that one was a, a great example of that. Yeah, that's a that's a different market, and you're, I'm hearing it more and more on the consumer side asking for those things, or also getting asked a lot like, how are they calculating the calories? You know, because so now Untap will try to like throw some calories on and smaller breweries, you know, beer, and you want like, are they calculating these? Are they basing it off ABV and style? Like, how how are they coming up with the calorie counts? That I mean, I'm guessing you guys are using sophisticated equipment to kind of to pull it off yours specifically, but you know, for like. Uh, how how would you how would you even calculate that without that kind of equipment? It's it a, feels it's a pretty complicated equation, but it yeah. can be done. I mean, it's built into our pilot recipe um, template is a essentially a, uh, an equation for calculating calories. Um, but yes, at the end of the day, you know, if we're going to make a label claim yeah. uh, being ninety eight calories, we need to make sure analytically that we are. So uh, we don't need that the chance. 
Yeah, you don't want arbitrary numbers on something like that. I, mean, I, yeah. I think if you were really interested, I think you can send your your product away. I think there's uh, okay. labs that'll do that, run that analysis oh, yeah. for you. Okay. I wonder. Yeah. It's got to be big business now, right? Man, come on. Mm-hmm. It's got to be hot, hot, business. hot business. Now, is there uh, anything coming up that you guys are particularly excited about? Anything you're working on in the works? Um, anything other than Bourbon County? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always in the works. That's <laughs> always in the forefront of the, of the minds of the people. But I mean, for you guys, I mean, is there anything coming up at the at the uh, in the brewing side of things? You guys looking to break into anything different? Uh, well, uh, you know. Uh, we, we were just talking about solo and that's just getting, getting ready to, you know, to launch in a pretty big way here. Uh, so we're excited for that right now. We have, there's so many things that really just kind of took off in the last couple of weeks. It seems like, uh, lost palette, uh, which is our first foray into the, the hazy IPA Ooh, what's range. That? What's that? Is that a, a packaged one or is that all draft or, uh, it's packaged, but only out of the, uh, uh, the tap room, uh, for now, uh, that turned out to be, it was a, uh, actually a really good story behind it uh one of our you know favorite employees one of our uh long-term guys uh, johnny kaufman had been you know diagnosed with cancer and um you know he approached us uh, last year saying hey i'd really like to do a beer uh with you guys and we're like of course johnny would you know whatever you want to do and he said i want to do a hazy we said you're like oh damn it (laughs) okay well uh we'll, we'll give it a shot what do you, what about a hazy do you like? He's like, well, you know, as I was going through chemo, you know, I lost the ability to taste a lot of things. And the one thing that I could really get behind was this bowl of oatmeal with mangoes and cinnamon. Like, okay, I think we could, well, let's see how that'll work. I can see the mango thing work and I see the oatmeal. Oats are pretty basic part of almost any hazy out yeah, there, yeah. but the cinnamon, eh. Are we gonna do the cinnamon, that? <laughs> I, the, I, w- I was nervous about the cinnamon to begin with, and I remember reaching out. I remember talking to uh, Trevor at Old Irving because I know he's got a food background, and asking, "It's like, hey, here's, here's kind of some direction we got." And I'll be honest, man. Like similar to Keith, it's like, oh, oatmeal, hazy, <laughs> okay, good, hops, yeah, or like you know, mango, like okay, we can. We can accentuate mango flavor with hops. We can mm-hmm. add mango, cinnamon. Uh, I think we. You know, Trevor's a good guy to call. He's, he's been on the show a couple he, times. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by his uh, his food his, culinary background with Moto and that. He instantly said like Saigon bark, and I was like, I think awesome. we actually have some of that from <laughs> uh, what was it, Prop 14 maybe. Yeah, I bought a lot of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> it was sitting around. Uh, <laughs> we we don't use it that often, but I I definitely bought too much. So I mean, on on the plus side, I had a little of what you know, like the recommended cinnamon that might work in a complimentary way, and we experimented with it. And I think we got um, some really like some good results up front. And I think our current canned batch uh, has the cinnamon. So we did probably like 10 different batches and various hop combinations, mango juices, purees, concentrates, cinnamon levels. We actually used Cinnamon Toast Crunch in one of the earlier versions. That's funny that you said that because Trevor actually made a Cinnamon Toast Crunch (laughs) white stout for us last year for an event. I I wonder where he got the idea from. (laughs) Bjorn? Uh, We we learned about throat coat 
Yeah. We, we got a little, we gave a little. <laughs> but I, I, I think, you know, uh, we were able to finally do this beer on a larger scale and release it uh, a few weeks ago in the tap room as a celebration of Johnny becoming cancer free, like entirely. So Hell yeah, it was awesome. A, it's a really great story behind it. Um, and the beer turned out uh, pretty good as well. So that just came out. Yeah. So SPF. Lost Palette is the name of it. That's Correct. right, and it's out right now at the which at either tap room you get it to go or right now just it's here uh, cans downstairs. The Fulton tap yeah, room. okay, and they they pushing out in draft and distro and stuff too. Yeah. Uh, small bat, small release for now. Okay. We'll look at doing something maybe a little bit larger for next year. Um, so, so where does that uh, clock in at? Like uh, ABV and you know, what kind of stats does that beer have? I believe it was always close to six. Yeah, I think 6%. it's about six percent. I mean, the BUs are always, that's kind of a... Yeah. Uh, it's hazy. Yeah. It's supposed to not have any. It's supposed to be zero. You no. know. Yeah, there are no okay. hops on the on the hot side. It's all dry hop. Yeah, all um, Whirlpool stuff. And, okay. So, pretty pretty. What did you guys use? Did you use Citra or did you, did you mix Went, it up? Uh, bunch? What do we use? Tummy. Citra, Simcoe. Chinook. No. <laughs> Come on. Uh, CTC. The original, some of the original pilot batches, I actually tried to make like a just like a theol bomb and this was kind of before i learned that most people aren't adding hot side hops to hazies like <laughs> uh i think we came out like 50 bu from the start which is probably a little much and we definitely adjusted down but i think i, I used chinook as far as trying to what is it you can probably help me out i know i think i use nugget chinook citra and i think it's to drive up like what some of those have geranial some of them have theols and like i was I got a l- I got a little too excited about some of the science behind it. I'm like these compounds, so they're gonna I'm gonna make them available, and then the yeast is gonna metabolize them, and it's gonna throw all this juice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out if you actually just add juice, it just adds juice. It, it works really, you know, really nicely. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. just juice worked out just fine. So that's phenomenal. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think as far as like uh, Idaho Seven was a big prominent hop in that that we liked, and I think we supported that with what a little. It's actually a pretty big hop in uh, like Solo as well. I it like is. Idaho Seven a lot. We're big seeing it more. From from what I'm hearing, a lot of the other brewers like Idaho Seven yeah, as well. Like it's like getting it's harder to find. To pick up some uh, some speed here, which is cool. It's a good hop. Well, you know, people are being driven off of certain other hops that are either too expensive or too rare, and it's like, I don't, I don't know. Then it's it's been a crazy, crazy talk with a lot of these guys about how hop buying and that contracts whatnot. So that's Ido Seven, good hop, or maybe we should pretend it's not a good hop. So then maybe yeah, those people no one should buy Ido Seven unless it's uh, you know unless you happen to have a goose. Goose beer with Idaho 7 in it, that it's incredible. There it is. Did you guys, uh, you, you mentioned like 10 or so batches of that beer just trying out. Is that like two barrel yeah, type two batches? Barrels. Okay. So okay. We'll, we'll use that, like you said, for, for R&D so we don't have to blow through quite as much. It seems uh, so important to have that that ability to, you know, if you're to gonna do that scaled down. If you're going to come out with an incredibly hyped up style uh, for the first time, you need to do it in a pretty good, in a pretty big way. You know, people are going to look at Goose and say, oh, man, they came out with a hazy. It sucks. Right. Uh, we can't have that. So and we'll do some seen, trial and error. Yeah, when I mentioned the throat coat thing, too, which was dry hopping the presence of mango puree, which was one of the trials, many yeah. of the trials. And we experienced this kind of hot burn to the mm-hmm. to the beers uh, that really we couldn't get rid of. So uh, 
throat yeah. hops. It's not unique to us. I've talked to other there's no, plenty of throat hops out since. there. Yeah. I think like uh, there's an article circulating around. Uh, I got sent. I got it sent to me by a few friends. That's like it covers the same the same concept, right? Hop burn or like hops not hop matter not coming out of suspension. And I think it was yeah talking to half acre they like they mentioned that they were the ones that actually like called in throat coat because i was asking <laughs> them i'm like yeah we got this we're working on the hazy we had the mango puree and then we had the hops and he's like oh yeah nothing comes out like the mango puree is like gum and like mm, nothing okay nothing settles out and that was certainly our experience yeah because we've used be- we've made beers with mango puree and we've obviously dry hopped a lot of beer in our day but we never really done both of them together so we arrived at this. So that just gums it up. Yeah. That's, that's what it'll, it'll react it's that way. Yeah, we did a side-by-side yeah. side comparison, you know, between uh, the mango and the juice, and everything was pretty, uh, you know, neck and neck up until we dry hopped. And then as soon as we dry hopped, one of them was just undrinkable, and the other one was really nice. That's beautiful. That's good. That's good information right there, actually, because I've seen that with purees so. versus, uh, you know, that you get that some of that burn sometimes when you talk to them like, yeah, use puree, or especially right off the bat, uh, right fresh canned. You know, yeah. it can be yeah, a little I bit think, aggressive. I think if I, if you're gonna add use puree, I mean, like the upside of puree is it's like the flavor is really great mm-hmm. if, especially in a hazy like it adds it adds a nice haze it uh, like it's uh kind of orange it'll impart like a slightly orange color which is all really cool things yeah, um, look nice smelled nice i would mm-hmm. definitely if you were gonna use it i'd say either <laughs> do it late responsibly or yeah but you gotta ferment it out or right? yeah you exactly <laughs> or you know like maybe dry hop before the addition dry hop pull your hops off, then add the puree. Mm. I think that could be one way to get all the characters you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways people are trying these things now, and sometimes it's just trial and error and just trying out things, and some people are trying to base it off science. It's it's very, very interesting. So when you guys uh, approached, like, uh, we're going to do, do this hazy for, for uh, your friend here, it, did you guys say, like, did you set some parameters for yourself? Like, we can't release this thing to the public unless it, does these things i mean obviously it's got to taste good but like did you guys concentrate on the visual of it a lot because that's one thing i see with consumers it's like for me it was more of the uh, the the mouth feel the aroma and you know that bitterness level and it had to be hazy but it didn't necessarily have to be turbid like puree hazy yeah and it's not yeah so it's got a nice haze to it but it's more of a Early, early onset, like. So like, I idea. might be able to see part of my finger through the glass. Is what you're telling me? Maybe. Like, okay. That's okay. It doesn't look like straight up orange juice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. such a, it's such a key for some of the consumers. Love to see that picture. They love to see that. And that's what untapped. the uh, like. Yeah, the puree would have given us that. Mm-hmm. And it as long as people just wanted, <laughs> yeah, as long as people <laughs> just wanted to take pictures of it, I'll make that beer sure. <laughs> No, totally. Is yeah, I, I say that facetiously when I when I bring that up, but it's just you know, it's it's an interesting. Still brings thing a tear to my eye when I see the opaque. <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty strong. I do enjoy them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love them, but it's yeah, it's there, it's wild. There are some consumer expectations. I think at Ultra Fresh, Quinn actually had someone say it's not, it's not hazy enough. Mm. Oh sure, yeah. But yeah. I think the mouth, like the mouth feel is there. It's got a really nice, soft, that's, like full mouth feel. Hop realm yeah. is huge. That's uh, what just we're jumps across on. at you. 
no bitterness to it. So I think it hits most of the marks. And it's hazy. So yeah. It's not, you know, yeah. orange juice hazy. Hazy, not murky. Yeah. Not <laughs> it's a good way of putting it. Not opaque. Maybe not, we'll try a murky opaque. IPA next time. Why not? Why not? Try them all, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, do you guys, are you guys looking down the road? Or are you saying, like, what's next? Like, what's, what's going to unseat that trend eventually or you know whatever it is i, I hate to call it a trend because it's kind of here but it, it, it'll it'll probably chill at some point well know, that was supposed to come be back like the brood ipa thing wasn't it like I remember the, that the reaction against uh, against hazies yeah. i don't know if that's really held on but yeah the brood just kind of doesn't yeah. seem like it's lifting doesn't seem like it's coming off the ground i mean i know loggers and pilsners are starting to push but i don't know if that'll ever well i think they're just too hard to make <laughs> Like they're just too hard to, to make in volume for a lot of people. Yeah. I think session beers kind of fit into like the larger better for you trend. So, I, you know, I, I think that's partly why the lagers are popular. I mean, they're, they're clean in the opposite of an IPA. So, I mean, I guess there's always kind of been like some counterculture roots, right, to craft beer. So it's like what what's the next thing? It's probably the opposite of what. <laughs> the the pushback. What we're currently doing. Yeah. So, uh, if, if that it scares me, the high that ABV, opposite, low ABV, might be hard seltzer waters. <laughs> that might be the complete opposite. <laughs> now, you're, now you're scaring me. No, don't be scared. Yeah, we yeah. can, uh, you know, I don't think tonics have to be or like hard seltzers are the only way, right? You can make a nice malt-based beverage. You can keep to malt, hops, and yeast, and I think you can do some interesting things inspired by that, but. In the slightly opposite direction. Yeah, as long as there's people like you thinking about that, then it can happen, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I would drink a, a non-alcoholic malt-based substitute for my LaCroix. Yeah, right. Can't beat LaCroix. Or you just throw Tito's in it. And <laughs> you're, and you're good. That's my healthy drink right there. Yeah, is there anything else you guys want to cover? I mean, we guys nothing coming up or any big stuff uh, you announcing anything like that? We just can't Festivals. tell you a lot of stuff. That's cool. Hey, I get it. I get it. <laughs> there are some big announcements, but we're, we're cool. working on a lot of That's things good. that we can't tell you about. I'm all right with that. <laughs> so, but the good news is we're pretty much always releasing uh, beer. So, uh, like Keith mentioned, a couple of them we've throughout the year we've you never go too long without a, a new Goose Island release. So. Uh, come to the tap room, come to the brew pub. Um, you know, there's always new beers. Is it Fulton that does it whale Wednesday or is that over on Clybourne? Is that, that definitely a, happens at Fulton. Yeah. That's hilarious. I, I love that. People, people are just able to get these beers. They're trying to pay hundred, two hundred dollars on the secondary. They can come ahead and enjoy them on the tap room for like a fairly reasonable price. <laughs> so, I mean, like that's way better than going out of your way to meet somebody you don't know in a parking lot somewhere to buy or trade or mail it illegally. Like come, just come to it whale. It brings Wednesday. people in for sure. It should, man. That's awesome. They're, yeah. they're great beers. We actually did, uh, uh, the bottle shop I work at, we did it in, oh shit, it was a couple months back. We, it took us, a, it took us about six months and 20, guys and a a very detailed spreadsheet uh to to procure every bourbon county variant from 2010 on and enough to drink two ounces per person and we did a bottle share of it and it was one of the best nights i've ever had it was just incredible everything was spot on uh yeah, everything. So everything variant. No, we didn't do any of the regulars for that night because everybody would have been dead. But uh, <laughs> it was two ounces per person. It w- everybody. It was like uh, like 
prom. Like everybody was taking a picture behind the set of bottles before we started. So everybody's like, oh, I have to go behind this. So you're taking like solo pictures. We're doing like the Jordan Wingspan poster <laughs> basically like with the, with the bottles laid out in front of us. But uh, yeah, people are wacky for Bourbon County. So it's coming up again. Yeah, we're, uh, Black Friday is going to be here before you know it for sure. I don't. I don't want to. Okay, I don't want to end on like a damp note or anything. But so, like, well, you guys were here in 2015. Was that just what, what was? How did you guys manage that? Was that just like chaos, or was it just like a slow burn and like you took took all the right steps and just got it, whatever taken care of? Was it a necessary thing, or was it just chaos? No, I mean it. It was. We we took our time and we tried to figure out exactly what had happened. You know, how would it? How was it caused? How could how did we miss it? You know, can we prevent it from happening again? And it took a lot of time and effort on a lot of people's parts over here. You know, our QA department was working around the clock trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, it, it's not the thing you can panic, uh, right. panic about. You can't just, you also can't say, well, look, not my, not my problem. You can't, you gotta be accountable. Right. You know? Right. And I, I think we, you know, I think we approached it the right way and uh, were able to, you know, help educate the consumers, but also other breweries that are doing uh, barrel aging. And, you know, these things can happen. You know, you might think that you're safe. I've seen uh, it. <laughs> we certainly thought we were safe. All of our all of our practices and methods and uh, testing and analysis uh, just wasn't quite enough for that uh, that particular guy. Yeah, the, it, the incredible thing about it, like it speaks to Goose Island, is something like that. Something like I mean, call it tragic that happened like that to the regular and in, in some of the you know, the variants. You still had two bangers come out of that year with the with the <laughs> with the uh, OG or the, not the OG but the rare and the in the what's the other one the Regal Rye, yeah. right? I mean, it's t- two amazing beers still come out of like a terrible situation. Like that speaks to. And a nu- yeah, a, a number of batches of the original were spared, fortunately, as well. So is, um, okay, so there is. A, can you explain that? So there are some of like the codes that were good, like they Correct. I don't know if I've ever got my hands on one. Though. I mean, I've seen seen people say they had like good ones, but I don't know how you could yeah. tell. Or uh, obviously, when you open them, but but uh, what, we, what were we some of the, the characteristics date, of the bad ones? We the, had the date ranges out there uh, on okay. our website for a while uh, because we offered you know that uh, uh, that buyback mm-hmm. uh, policy and. You know, I, d- I don't remember exactly what the dates are at the moment, but it, well, you can still were, find them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure I could Google it. But yeah, having gone through it, it was it was a uh, it it created a um, an opportunity for us to look at every aspect of the making of that beer um, and look at areas for improvement, and we did that. And we realize now that there's always room for improvement, so we'd never uh, rest back and say. Yeah, we've got it. It's fine. You know, we're uh, it was it was a tough thing to go through as a brewing team and as a quality team and as a brewery, uh, but we made it out the other end. And um, I think it's uh, the beer that we're putting out now is better than ever. So yeah, there's no doubt about that. The last few years of regular have just been insanely good, man. There's no no arguing that. And to be able to get back uh, consumer confidence too, you know, to make to know that we needed to get that back. Uh, after something like that and uh and thankfully people have continued to support the brewery and support that beer so yeah um definitely very appreciative of that something like this can easily you know kill a brand 
especially with that much publicity that you know widespread but again speaks to what you guys did and how you handled it and how great the product has been since so uh, one 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 last little silly thing. I'll let you guys get back to your lives. Like, what? Like, if you're getting off right now after a long shift and you're walking down to that tap room, like, what are you gonna order? Like, what's what's your go-to beer on the menu? Mm. Kind of trading back and forth right now between, uh, depending on what kind of day it is, Next Coast or and Paper Umbrellas. Paper Umbrellas is awesome. <laughs> Pretty yeah. big fan of that. Just depending on like ABV and where I'm at that yeah, day. Yeah, right, right. If it's 105 degrees in the brewery yeah. uh, that day. I think uh, depending on what's on, I'm either Paper Umbrellas or Next Coast myself. Next Coast, there you go. Yeah, my shift beer um, is probably a lager. Right. Do you guys have a bunch of different, like, is the brewer, is there a separate brewer here at this facility, Fulton? Like, they're the brewer, head brewer here at this facility only for, like, the taproom stuff? Or is it? No. There's uh, not like a small system for like just the taproom like there would be like Clybourne or something no, like that. No, really the, the, the taproom's fed off of the R and D department and then okay. the fifty barrel system. Oh so you put so. those two barrel batches get to get they get they go right on tap. Oh absolutely. Awesome. Oh yeah. Like I said, we're we're on average we've been about hundred and fifty taproom exclusive beers a year yeah, for awesome. the last couple of years and most of that'll come out of the pilot brewery. A lot of that comes out of the big brewery, uh the big batches that we do. Um, but a lot of those majority are going to come from the two barrel brewery. So, um, so that's, you know, uh, any number of brewers, but we've got two dedicated R and D brewers, Tim and Quinn. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're brewing between one and three times a week. You guys, uh, do you have a lager on there right now? That's, that's a go-to for you. We'll go through waves. Yeah. I mean, we've, um, we just released uh, again, bigger batch of canning release, but, uh, Cinco Mas, uh, Pilze, kind of some fun takes on lagers of uh, natural villain of course uh is our year round but then on the pilot brewery we've done in the last couple of years we've done dozens and dozens of lagers some very straightforward some um a little bit more playful so um lagers are, have a lot of interest around here uh, as they do with most most brewers right mm-hmm. they should um they've never gone away uh again we, we we might get a little bit more playful with some of the ingredients, yeah. but um, I, th- I think they always have a place on a beer menu for sure. Or a beer fest when you're surrounded by 14% stouts all day and it's 95 degrees out. You just want a Pilsner. You just yeah. want like, something light. That, well, something you know, lager-y. That brewer secret, right? That right. At any beer fest, the brewers are yes. always drinking Pilsners. I know. Uh, I always, you you got to check the brewer's jockey boxes. They usually have some stashed in there. there. Yep. <laughs> Amongst their uh, hazies and whatnot that they're pouring out. Uh, yeah. So seriously, guys, I thank you guys for taking the time out of your day. I know it's a busy schedule and to sit down with, you know, some dude that does a podcast is, is a lot to ask. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, it was a good conversation. First of all, for sure. It's been fun. Thanks for coming out. Well, yeah, thank you thank guys. You. Thanks for coming yeah. to us. Let's make everybody, uh, get out to Fulton and get out to Clybourne. And I'm sure everybody's already geared up and making their plans for where they're going to be waiting for their bourbon County this year. So do you guys do anything a day of here? Like at the different facilities, or is that all? Okay. So day of Black Friday, you guys do like a release here, or, or is it just on tap? Or yeah, they'll do uh, they'll do fun releases. Um, again, a lot of the attention is at the Big Benny's next to the Clybourne Brew House, um, and that's been a nice tandem for many years. Um, but our tap room likes to get some attention too. 
Yeah, yeah. We well, uh, got prop day prop too. Day right? is prop the big day is the big out one out of here. I totally yeah, forgot about prop. I wanted to talk about prop day. I just totally forgot. Uh, yeah, because that's what, how how soon before the release is is prop day usually a month, a couple weeks, couple so, weeks. Yeah. 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 It's the best. That's the one raffle people enter 400 times if they can. <laughs> it's like over and over and over. Into early and often. There are actually people out there that think they're cursed that they because they've never won it. They've never won the raffle. I've seen people post like 12 years running, you know, whatever, or five years running. I've never, never won the raffle. I'm cursed. Well, it's such a small batch, right? You know, and that's how we can make it exclusive and, you know, super fun. One day, one day I'm going to win that goddamn raffle. I'll be here. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. I'll let you get back to your days. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.